going to finish up our series today as it pertains to grace. And uh, the Lord's blessed me through it. But we've learned that grace is the power and presence of God in our lives, a favor that's come to us through the power and presence of God in our lives. Salvation and, and a transformed life will come through the, th- the fruit of the Spirit are both evidences of grace. And the grace of God will bring gifts of the Holy Spirit into our lives. The grace of God will help us to suffer well and to be generous is what we talked about last week. Uh, before the baptism service. So today I want to close things up today uh, with our last evidence of grace, uh, which is seen when mercy is exercised in our lives. Evidence of grace is a person that exercises mercy. How do we live a gracious lifestyle? A person that lives with grace, a gracious person, is a person that allows the grace of God, the power and presence of God inside of them to overflow toward others with an act of mercy, an attitude of mercy toward those who need it. Amen? Well, if you don't say amen now, at least maybe here in a little bit, I'll convince you. You know, mercy, we already talked about uh, when we started this series, that mercy is really the unmerited favor part of grace. Mercy and grace always go together. Whenever people talk about mercy and grace, it just seems like they're together all the time. And there's a reason there because mercy is that unmerited favor that you receive from God. You and I received death. We should have received death. You and I should have received the cross and did not, right? Jesus in his unmerited favor, his mercy toward us went to the cross for us so that we could have grace, which is the power and presence of God in our lives to overflow into grace through mercy. Wow. God's a little bit like feedback. It just keeps coming and going around and going around. You know what I'm saying? It, his, his presence in our lives is going to continue to bless through us with an attitude of mercy through grace. Jesus himself was full of grace. Jesus, we know in the book of John, said that Jesus was full of grace. And Jesus, full of grace, came to do what? He came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus came to leave the 99 to go seek for the one. Now, I used to get mad. I used to get mad when I read I go, what? Why would God leave the 99 to go find a stupid sheep that wandered off? It's stupid. It should be eaten by wolves. It's right with everybody else. And it's like, (laughs) and walks off. And the shepherd's got to leave the other 99 at risk to go find the dumb sheep. Anybody ever raised livestock in here before? You always get that one. I'm serious. Dad had cattle. I grew up on a farm where there was cattle. and, and, And I've always heard the same about all livestock. Do you know that livestock all have personalities? individually just because they're cows and they're out there and they look at you they all have different tendencies sheep are the same way they all have tendencies we always had you know the cow the the one bad cow it's kind of a bad cow disease not mad cow disease because that's not good but bad cow it's the one that don't care how many times you mend or patch or put up new fence it's going to walk through it every time just because it wants to get to the other side and then all the other cows lead, they follow the lead of the stupid cow. So you know what we did? We ate the stupid cow. That's what we did. <laughs> I was a kid, dad said, well, I'm going to take that cow down there to the market. We're going to sell it. Why? He said, well, it's stupid. It's always getting out all the time. Okay. So we, 
We didn't sell it. We, we killed it and ate it. But anyway, that's what you do with cows. It's okay. Yeah. I drive by cow pastures and I get hungry. But I learned it took me time. The Holy Spirit taught me. He said, Bob, that's not what I'm saying. I don't leave the 99 by themselves afraid alone to go find the one. A sheep who is a part of the flock, who hears my voice and listens to me, follows me. So while the one sheep goes off by itself, the others trail along behind. They say, come on, sheep. And so they follow. You see, it's grace. It's the power and presence of the shepherd in the sheep's life that overflows into what he's doing. He's going to lead us to the place that we need to be. And we don't need to be sheep with attitudes that say that sheep deserves whatever it gets. Because that's what we good sheep have a tendency to do. Amen? Because we forget there was a time in our lives that we was all stupid sheep. We all have a tendency to wonder. We all have a tendency to go do things that's not pleasing to God. We all have a tendency. There was a time before you were found, you were lost. And so today what I want us to grasp is is the power and presence of God in our lives should overflow in mercy towards the lost sheep. It should overflow in mercy towards the stupid sheep. It should overflow in mercy toward even the self-righteous sheep that don't want to go find the stupid one. You see, God's grace in our lives should be overflowing to a praise. We just sang about how His praise is going to be on our lips. There should be a celebration when we are found, when we're a part of the flock of God, when we are part of the children of God, we are part of His family. There should be a rejoicing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Look at the screen, if you will. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare, everybody say declare, Declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This whole message is a look. You used to be in darkness. You used to be a nobody. You weren't even a people. Now you're the people of God. He went and called you out and brought you into His family. He's he's named you to be a priest. He's named you to be a king. You are royalty. You are a nation of God. And how should the people of God and God's family rejoice? It It should be an overflow of praise. There should be praise on our lips, a life of praise, an attitude of praise, an attitude of worship. What is that? It's called being like Jesus. Saying the things Jesus did. Doing the things Jesus did. Acting like our shepherd. Following. We got to follow him. We're just sheep for crying out loud. And do the things he's doing. Mercy. We cannot have grace without mercy. We cannot possess the power and the presence of God in our lives and be unmerciful people. We cannot, do you realize that if the power and presence of God is in your life and you lack mercy for people, I'm confused. You're suppressing something that the Lord wants to do in you. Because the Holy Spirit sent Jesus to be merciful to a bunch of steep, stupid, steep and shoop. <laughs> bunch of steep and shoop that don't need it. You know what I'm saying. Sometimes they just, the head goes, what? And the mouth goes, I'm lost. No, what am I saying? Stupid sheep. He sent them to us. 
Jonah had been anything but merciful. We know Jonah's story. Our little kids talk about it in Sunday school class. We've talked about Jonah a thousand times. We know that Jonah was a prophet, according to the VeggieTales movie. There's a whole song about that. And we know that Jonah loved being a prophet. As long as it was to his people, it was to the people of Israel, it was to his liking, it was to his comfort, it was what he wanted. We know, obviously, that God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said no, and got on a ship to go to Tarshish, which I always say Tarshish is where Jimmy Stewart lived. (laughs) Sorry. You go to Tarshish, and on the way there, obviously we know what happened, the storm, they throw him overboard, he realized he'd been disobedient to God, the big fish swallows him. Yes, I said swallow. I don't blame Jonah. I've been there. Let me help you understand Jonah. I know we've talked about Jonah before. I know you've heard me say this before, but Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't like the Assyrian people because all they would do, they would attack Israel constantly. And when they would attack them, they would peg people to the ground. This is how they would torture people. They would peg families to the ground and skin them alive in front of one another. Jonah said, I don't want them saved. I don't want them living on the street with me in heaven. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to look at them. They don't deserve you. Jonah looked at them and said, those people deserve nothing but death. Death without knowing you, God. Those people deserve hell. Hell is sufficient for everything that those people deserve. That was this prophet's thinking. Do you know you can have the power and presence of God and your your opinions of people can be so strong? So true. So true. Let me help you understand a little further if if that didn't compute with you just a little bit. Jonah in Nineveh wasn't, Isis wasn't in Nineveh, but Isis is a descendant of the Assyrian people in Nineveh. It's where it was birthed out of. The tactics that they're using on people and Christians and in, in, the, in the fear that people impart about them and the anger and the rage that we experience in our community, if we're not careful, we can turn into a bunch of Jonas. Now, don't take your pastor wrong. I'm not saying we should expose ourselves to danger. I'm not saying that we should invite in a bunch of death into our communities. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people, men and women of God, who know eternal things to consider eternal things and understand the heart of our Father who died, sent His Son to die on a cross for all of mankind. To not have an attitude that says, burn in hell forever. Ooh, did you, did you hear that? We just struck a chord. That's hard, isn't it? Because we demonize certain people groups and we demonize certain situations and things and we say, well, those people are worthy of salvation. Those people are not. And that one's this and this one's this. You know what Jonah had? Jonah had a problem with his attitude towards people. But what I want to read to you and what we're going to look at here about Jonah and his story. We understand his account and what's happening. I don't judge him or hate Jonah for his situation. I just understand it. But I want to read a portion of Jonah's prayer to God while he's in the belly of the fish. Listen to what he says in verses 7 through 10 of Jonah chapter 2. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Listen, folks, just stop for a little side note. This ain't going to cost you anything extra. It already took up the offering, but when my life is ebbing away, I remembered you. You know, that's not the best time to remember God. 
Let's remember before our life is ebbing away. Amen? Let's cry out to Him while we're still young and energetic and can do something for the kingdom. Amen? Let's not lay there when we're sick and go, you know, maybe it's time. Lord, don't do that. But Jonah in his pride had allowed himself to be driven to the point of death before he contemplated himself. Before he evaluated his mindset, before he really thought about what it was that was taking place in his life, he rose to the Lord. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know what? It's a bad day when it's a good thing that you got puked up. How bad is your day when you say, boy, I'm glad that happened. How low do you have to get? But Jonah, in this, this, this prayer, there's something key that we catch here. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. There's two sides to that. One, Jonah finally come to grips and understanding, wow, these people who are in Nineveh, are people. They're living, they're breathing, they have families, they have children. They're worshiping an idol that looks like a fish. Dagon, the fish god. That's their god and it's worthless and it's hopeless. And as long as they hold on to that, they're forfeiting the grace, the power and the presence that they could receive from God. The other side of it is, is Jonah holding on to his idol. What was his idol? His opinion. You ever have an opinion before? You ever have an opinion about people? Anybody have an opinion? Don't don't raise your hands because you're all going to have an opinion about me before you leave today. (laughs) You ever have a bad opinion about somebody before? Somebody's done something wrong to you, like, oh, Lord, there they are again. You get a Facebook request from somebody you hadn't talked to since elementary school and you remember that person slapped you once on the playground and you don't want to talk to them anymore. It's like, should I even accept this stupid person? Who cares that it was 49 years ago? I remember it like it was yesterday. I was out there by the merry-go-round and he was going around on it and he got by me and just reached out and went pop on the way around. I don't know if I can be friends with that person. And to you, I just say, please just accept my friend request, Okay. I'm sorry. We develop opinions about people and we hold on to those opinions and we don't want to be convinced about anything else. I know. You can say all you want to. I don't care. You can tell me how many times. I don't care. I'm convinced. I already know. Folks, listen. We've got to be careful that we don't reject the grace of God to hold on to a stupid opinion about another person. Folks, we we need to make sure that the grace of God inside of us is overflowing toward mercy towards them. It doesn't matter what they've done to us in the past. It doesn't matter what they've said. We have to, in some way, get it. Jonah finally got it. Imperfectly, yes. Jonah didn't love as he should love exactly with the Assyrian people, but he did obey the Lord, and he went, and the Lord taught him that 120,000 people in that city that didn't know their right hand from their left hand, they were valuable to God. These people are valuable. 
Jonah struggled with that understanding. Folks, listen. Living in grace is more than some kind of a selfish receiving of the presence of God for ourselves. It has more to do with the ones that He has called us to carry mercy to and to carry grace to than it does with ourselves. He's he's given us grace to be gracious. He's given us grace to be merciful. It should overflow in that. Think of the day of Pentecost. You know, we know that God extended His hand to those who were there in that room. They received the power of God on their lives to be ministers. And they go out and they begin to minister and to speak to those in need. They began to touch the untouchable. They, they went to those who were enemies to them, considered enemies before that. Think of Peter who was in, the, in a place praying and meditating before the Lord. And the Lord sent people from Cornelius' house to say, Hey, go get Peter and bring him to you. And Peter's sitting there and it required a vision from God for Peter to have the comfort to go with these Gentiles. God gave him a vision and he said, Peter, don't call anything that I have made clean common or unclean. And Peter, it was made clear to him that he could go with these. So listen, folks, it's a big deal to break down our opinions. But that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. The grace of God, the power and presence of God is going to break down our opinions. There's a lot of things going on right now in our nation with a lot of opinions. Lots of things. A lot of opinions are wrong. All of my opinions are right. No, I'm just kidding. A lot of things are wrong. Folks, we can look at it and go, well, duh. But we've got to be careful. We don't want to demonize people. Amen? We don't want to begin to hate people. You and I may not understand everything that's going on around us, but it doesn't give us a license to then put people in a category of unworthy of receiving Christ. Unworthy of our mercy. The awesome thing about the account of Jonah's life is the reality that God will go to great lengths to not only save the lost, but to bring His people to a place of maturity. God wants us to grow up. Some of y'all need to grow up. We need to quit the fighting. We need to quit the opinions. We need to quit the, we need to quit the unforgiveness and carrying grudges and, and backstabbing. And because, oh, that person, this and that. You need to put your big girl panties on. You need to put your big boy panties on. Grow up. It's time for us, the people of God, to be led into maturity. And maturity means the power and presence of God in us is enough for us to look past offenses, for us to look past mistakes, for us to look past political agendas, for us to look past people's stuff and show them mercy. Did you hear that? Struck a chord again. Folks, listen, I don't, I don't have any agenda other than this. This is what the Holy Spirit's spoken to me. And the people of God, the church of God, needs to rise above the carnal attitudes and opinions of this world. And that's what God wants to do in us and through us. What's your Nineveh? Who are those that you've written off? Who is it that you've deemed unsavable? Who is it that you won't even look at, speak to, or respond to? Who is it? Who is it that's hurt you so bad that, that you, you, you just can't even imagine ever saying hello to them? Listen, God and the power of God, the Spirit of God is, is drawing you to a place to extend mercy. Doesn't mean you've got to be besties. Doesn't mean you've got to hang out every weekend. Doesn't mean you're always at everything together. Just means simply that we, we can move past this. Amen? So when we have true grace, we love even our enemies. Flip over to 2 Kings chapter 6, if you will. 
just a few more scriptures this morning. We see uh, the servant of Elisha and the king of Israel both had an eye-opening experience when the enemy of Israel had surrounded them with a motive to destroy them. In 2 Kings chapter 6, again, very familiar passage, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now we know this passage. We understand it very well. We see the power and presence of God with Elisha. We saw the numbers that were with them. We see the power of his armies around them. And now we're going to see an overflow of grace. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Some of you say right now, well, that's not merciful. Well, he didn't call down fire from heaven. He didn't wipe them out. Amen. He just said, Lord, cast them blind. Now, listen, if, if you've got an army and you're coming against two dudes and everybody goes blind, it's time to go home. <laughs> no, I'm saying you lost. It's time to go home. But Elisha, look at what he says now. He told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. If it was me, I'd be like, I don't want to go find nobody. I'm blind. How am I going to get them? After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your, so- your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Now, before I even talk about this, I want us to understand, Pastor Bob's not coming from some kind of a political stance. I'm not talking about international conflict. I'm not talking about uh, wars and things of that nature threatening our own nation. That's not what I'm, I'm not erasing our military. I'm not saying it's wrong to defend or even pursue those who are trying to seek and kill us, okay? I'm not saying that. What I am addressing is I'm addressing the, the situations in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces. What happened here? Elisha said, Lord, make them blind. He led them to the king, and the king said, let me kill him. Here's my opportunity. The Lord delivered him. I want to kill him. Shall we kill him, Lord? Shall we kill him? And he said, nobody's dying today. Feed them. Give them something to drink and send them home. We struggle with this because we gloat so many times. Have you ever said this? I've said it, and the only reason I'm asking you this question is because I'm carnal enough to say something like this. When somebody's hurt me really bad and they've done some things to me, then I sit back and I say, it'll catch up with them. They'll get theirs here one of these days. They're going to get theirs. Don't worry. They'll get it. And then we sit patiently and wait like Jonah underneath a plant growing up waiting for him to get it. Burn them up, Lord! God's called us to be merciful. He's called us to bless and not curse. He's called us to pray for our enemies. He's called called for us to bless them. Why? Because that's the overflow of grace. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? 
Isn't that what He did? We were once enemies of God. We were His enemies. We were in darkness. We weren't just lost sheep. We were biting lost sheep. But yet He came. The power of mercy was this, that they did not invade Israel anymore. They lost. They came in to kill and destroy. They left with full bellies and drink after they had been made blind and their eyes had been opened again and they're walking back to their, to their own kingdom going, how do you fight against that? How do you hate someone that could have killed you and didn't and showed you mercy and blessed you and sent you on your way even though you didn't have goodwill for them? How is that possible? With God, all these things are possible. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. He says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God wants to perfect our love. He wants to perfect Himself in our lives. And it's going to happen when we stop fighting people. When we stop with the competitions. When we stop trying to make our kids better than their kids. When we stop trying to make our family better than their family. When we stop sitting around the the table and, and, and eating the pastor for lunch. Folks, listen, I'm not saying that happens all the time. I'm just using myself as an example. You can fill in the blanks anywhere you want to we got to stop it. The Holy Spirit, grace in our lives. I'm going to tell you, you're always going to have conflict in yourself as long as the power and presence of God is in your life and you refuse to show mercy to someone. There's always going to be an inner conflict because God wants to mature you. He wants to grow you up and He wants to make your love perfect. He's not, he's not about you keeping a carnal mindset with His presence. He's not okay with that. He's always going to be growing us in grace. You still with me? Four of you. Great. Wonderful. Glad you're here with us today. I'm about finished, I promise. We'll stop the agony here in a moment. The gracious life is simply the Spirit-filled life that will overflow in mercy towards all people. Matthew 25. Turn over there, if you will, in your Bibles. Look at Matthew 25. Put a little highlight there, an underline with it or something. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read the first half of it. Beginning in verse 33. Remember we were talking about sheep. Matthew 25 verse 33 says, He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, we did, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. 
Now, we also know what happened with the goats. The goats didn't do these things. You say, what's the difference? I'm not talking about somebody earning their salvation. This is just evidence of somebody that's got the grace of God in their lives. This is the power and presence of God in their lives. How does it overflow? It overflows in mercy. Whatever need there is, whatever you need, hon, you need clothes, I'll get you clothes. Are you hungry? I'll feed you. What do you need? Let me help you. That's, that's the overflow of grace in our lives. It doesn't matter what the person has done to put them in a bad situation or anything else. It's just simply, wow, the grace of God inside of me is going to overflow into blessing through mercy for those who need. Folks, this is, this is true gracious living. How, how do I live a gracious Christian life? Then anybody that comes across my path is going to receive love and mercy from me. Regardless of their circumstance, regardless of their situations, regardless of what they've done. In closing, I'm have Alyssa come, but when I was a youth pastor for, for years, like way before, like when I first started in youth ministry, Pastor Regan started this, and then I carried it on for a little while until they changed the convention schedule. But convention schedule, oh, Alyssa's not in here, is she? Worthless bum. <laughs> She's all right. It's, it's not a big deal. I just... I say, I only say, I only invite her to the piano so that everybody can go, oh, good, it's about over. That's the only reason I do it. We've still got 20 minutes left, but um, I'm just kidding. Uh, for, for years, we had, uh, Pastor Regan started this before me and April and I were, were sponsors with the youth and would help. And many of you probably remember that convention, youth convention forever was right like the day after Thanksgiving. And so it would be like Thanksgiving through I don't remember if it was Friday night. It was like Thanksgiving. It was like the day after. It was Thursday morning through Friday night, wasn't it? Did we stay two nights? Well, no, it was Friday. I'm sorry. Friday. It was Friday, Saturday. I'm sorry. But anyway, it started Friday morning. That's my point. The schedule's changed since then. And uh, what we would do is we'd have a Friday morning service. That was our first service. And then it would go into the afternoon we would have like a four to five hour block of time and then we'd have an evening service. Well, in that four to five hour block of time, uh, people would go to the mall and run around and play and, 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 and destroy things. You know what I'm saying? Good times. But anyway, Pastor Regan had a great idea and, I, and as I said, I carried it on, but his idea was, you know, let's, let's give these kids an opportunity to serve. And so he, he took them to... Uh, took them to, we worked, in, we worked in thrift stores, we packed food, we went to women's shelters, uh, we've done, uh, we worked at Wheeler Mission downtown, all kinds. So, I mean, that's some of the stuff he did all the way up to where I was doing it before they changed the schedule, and now there's just not time for that. But, but I'll never forget the day after Thanksgiving taking a group of kids to a women's shelter, and some of them worked with packing groceries, some worked with cleaning toys. They sit down for, for hours with bleach water cleaning toys. Uh, others of us, it was like 35 to 40 degrees outside, the wind blowing, and we picked up thousands of cigarette butts, cleaned up property, trash, all of that stuff. And uh, these are all just youth kids. But I can tell you this, we, we weren't to be around the people, the ladies with the kids in the women's shelter. We weren't to be around them. They kind of kept us separate and did the work. But to get to one part, we had to walk through a room where there were some there. And they just told us to just walk past, let them be, 
it's a holiday. We're letting them stay in all day because it's the day after Thanksgiving and they're resting. And I'll never forget. It's been burning my mind ever since the day I saw it walking through and seeing a woman with her kids, her two kids, all had coats on. It's all they had sitting on a couch with a kid in each arm sleeping on their mom and the mom sleeping. And I'm thinking, dear God, it's the day after Thanksgiving. What did this lady have to go through to get shelter in this place the day after Thanksgiving? I remember one time we worked at Wheeler Mission downtown Indianapolis and, and uh, they were so gracious to let us come and to work and to serve there with them. They, again, we packed groceries. We, uh, we had a lot of our young ladies because they are the better cleaners, supposedly, to clean men's urinals and toilets in the restroom in the mission, downtown Wheeler Mission in Indianapolis. Let's just say that in and of itself was a learning experience. But that guy gave us a tour. Before we worked, they gave us a tour and explain their ministry and what they do there. And I'll never forget what he said. We stood in this, this room. It was lined with bunk beds. They had several of these places where, guys, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of, of men would sleep every night when it was cold. They, they couldn't be in there in the daytime. They had to be out doing other things, work, and there was all these regulations. But we stood in the middle of that room, and the guy turned around and looked at all of our students, and he said, listen, about 30-plus kids standing there, and he just looked at everybody. He said, listen, He said, nobody comes to this place because they made good decisions with their life. I'm not talking about the women's shelter. I'm talking about the men's shelter downtown Indianapolis. He says, nobody ever comes to this place because they made good decisions in their lives. These rooms and these beds are filled with felons. They're filled with runaways, drug addicts, alcoholics, and people who have chosen not to work and to live a homeless lifestyle. He said, people that make the right decisions in their lives don't come to this place. And he said, I don't want to ever see any of you in this place. And as I was preparing this message today, my mind remembered these things. And I remembered walking through that tour and we were in an upper level and I looked down and you could look over a rail and you could see a couple of flags there and a pulpit and stuff and some chairs. And I said, what's this? He said, that's, that's our sanctuary. That's where we worship. And he said, everybody that sleeps here worships here. And I went, yes. And it clicked with me, folks. We have a tendency to see the felons, to see the drug addicts, the alcoholics, the ones that have made bad decisions in their life. You know, the sheep that's wandered off And we see them as having good reason of not receiving mercy from me. It's easy to look into their lives and go, well, they kind of deserve it. And the fact of the matter is, is that God didn't call us to show mercy to people who deserve mercy. Because anybody that deserves mercy, anybody that needs mercy, doesn't deserve it. Including you and me. But if there's grace inside of us, it will overflow to mercy. I'll tell you this, that it's easy for all of us who have never been through anything. A lot of us, I know a lot of us have been through stuff, but a family that's never been through anything, it's easy for them to look at others and judge. And I can, I can speak from my own experience in this, that God 
will allow me to be swallowed by a fish for me to have some empathy and compassion for somebody else. Even, even experiencing depression. I told you before, God allowed me to experience depression for about two and a half weeks because I had lost empathy for a few people that I had dealt with and had been ministering with that were experiencing depression on a regular basis to the point where I kind of lost mercy for them. It's like, this is stupid. I'm a happy person. Just be happy. How hard is it to be happy? Can't find anything to be grateful about? Good grief. You got up, put your feet on the floor every day. You should be happy. Wake up and, and you got food in front of you. You got a job to go. You got what? Just be happy. Dear Lord, how, how hard is it? Lord says, I'll show you how hard it is. And for two and a half weeks, again, he did it while I was on vacation. I mean, why do you need to do it before I went on vacation? Let me go enjoy my vacation. No, i got to be in depression while I'm on vacation. Folks, I'm on a beach. This is, this is how God teaches us. I'm sitting on a beach, in a beach chair, in my shorts. I leave my shirt on all the time now because, dear God, nobody wants to see that. But I'm sitting there, and, you know, i got the ocean in front of me. We're staying in a condo on the beach. i got family and friends around me, everybody that loves me, and I'm sitting there like this. And April's like, what's the matter with you? I was like, I don't even know. I walked, I'm not kidding you, I walked along the beach, stopped with my ankles in the water, and just kind of looked out and I thought, I wonder how far I could get before I would go under. And then my mind, I'm like, what am I doing? That's stupid. What, what is wrong with me? And I'm begging God, whatever this is, take it away. I can't even explain it. And the Holy Spirit said, and now you know how they feel. After I got home from vacation, of course. And now you know. And pulled it from me, folks. I've never struggled with it again ever since. But God will develop empathy. Why? So that we can show mercy. His his grace in our lives will do that. I saw a friend put on Twitter in closing this morning. I saw a friend put on Twitter. And if it's on Twitter, it's it's powerful. A quote from, from John Ortberg that says, One of the hardest things in the world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the elder son. One of the hardest things in the world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the elder son. All of us have been prodigals at one time or another and then the Lord has welcomed us home. But how easy is it for us then to become comfortable and to have everything. You know, the prodigal son, that brother that was there, didn't think the prodigal brother should have a fatted calf slayed for him. He doesn't think there should be a party thrown for him. I've been here the whole time. And the father says, everything I have is yours, but my son, though he is dead, now he lives. He was excited about that and wanted his other son to rejoice, but the other son couldn't rejoice because in his self-righteousness, he's like, I've never done any of that. I'm better than that. You don't appreciate me for how great I am. Listen, folks, show some mercy. The difference is, is that the father's heart was for both. This one over here had the grace of God. He had the power and presence of the father. He had the father there and he had the, he had the presence of the father and he had the power. He said, all that I have is yours. Everything that I own is yours. Folks, but yet it hadn't overflowed. He didn't love his brother and he wasn't happy that his brother was alive. He hadn't captured the father's heart. 
And for us, if we're going to be gracious living Christians, if we're going to be full of the grace of God, we must allow the Holy Spirit to drive us to a place to where we have the same heart as our Father in heaven. We'll stop getting offended at every little thing. We'll stop pinpointing people and demonizing them, making them evil in our minds. We need to stop with these grudges and fights and arguments and things that have lasted. Listen, you realize there are families that are split apart from things that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago. Dear Lord, the things that have happened, but the people that have happened between, I've been gone for decades and families are still fighting about it. Be like Elsa. Let it go. Let it, the stink, go. And allow mercy. There's got to be some mercy, folks. There's got to be some mercy overflowing if we truly know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And if He's driving you to that, don't run from it. Don't take a ship to Tarshish because He will make a fish swallow you and bring you back because He loves you too much. Don't take the hard path. Just submit to the Lord and say, I know I need to be merciful and let me give that mercy out. We'll make that our prayer this morning. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me?